to the audio event of the century, featuring two lifelong best friends. We love the Leafs. We love each other. But most of all, we love William Nylander. Welcome to the Buds All Day. Hello and welcome to the Buds All Day Podcast. I'm Sats Mundine here with Lebda's Legacy. How's it going, everyone? And we are back a little quicker than last time. Today we're going to discuss the first couple days of free agency from the Toronto Maple Leafs perspective. So the Leafs were relatively quiet, but they did make a few moves. The first one was the biggest one, and that was to sign Peter Morazic, the goalie from the Carolina Hurricanes, for three years at $3.8 million per season. Uh, then they got another guy, one of one of yours and my favorites, Lebda, Michael Bunting from the Arizona Coyotes. They got him at two years for only $950,000 per year. Uh, and the last signing of real consequence for them was was to sign David Kampf from the Chicago Blackhawks for $1.5 million per season over two years. Uh, they did make some other signings as well that were more of the extra 13th, 14th forward variety, probably guys that we're going to see up and down between the AHL and NHL this year. They got Michael Amadio and Curtis Gabriel, two forwards at 750000 a year, and they got Alex Biega and Carl Dahlstrom, two defensemen, again, likely AHL, seventh, eighth defenseman candidates. Now, there's a lot of opinions flying around about these deals and the lack thereof from, from Kyle Dubas yesterday. Uh, but first, I'm gonna let, I'm gonna throw it to you. Which uh, which signing would you like to discuss first? Yeah, I I think some of the uh, kind of narratives surrounding Leafs Twitter right now are a little bit ridiculous. Seeing as like this team has its core, we our defense was set coming into the year, so I'm not sure what people were really really expecting. I know losing Zach Hyman, people were expecting some kind of major left wing signing, but looking at the market and looking at what some of these guys got. I think Dubas did really, really well to to stay out of all that kind of craziness. And yes, have they or they haven't replaced Zach Hyman yet? But I mean, they still have. I think it's like three and a half million in cap space at the time of recording this. So there is other moves to come, whether it's trade, whether they're just waiting for a guy's you know price to drop, or you're going to go make calls to guys who haven't signed yet and try and get them on board. So I mean, all in all, like Kyle Dubas's day yesterday was exactly what I expected it to be couple moves around the fringes they got their backup goalie and I guess that's a perfect place to kind of do a little deeper of a dive here between the two of us and you know honestly at, at, when I read that I was like yeah 3.8 for Mrazek like it's what I expected the Leafs to kind of do like a goalie in that range I was like ah, I don't know how much I'm like in love with it like it's not a bad deal by any means but then seeing kind of the other goalies that went and the prices that they went for I think Kyle Dubas did a real nice little tidy bit of business with that uh with that deal yesterday. Yeah, I agree. And you say, you say backup goalie, but he, I know you mean more one, a one B tandem thing. So, so with him and Jack Campbell, they both had strong seasons last year. They were both above nine twenty save percentage. And Peter Morazic is the perfect guy for a tandem because he has experience doing that in his career. He played in 2020 before the uh, COVID shutdown season. He played 40 games the year before that 40 games. And then he's had seasons of 50 games, 54, 39 so he's kind of used to that tandem role and he is a guy who I do feel could grab the starters role if Campbell is either injured underperforming or or what have you and I'm really glad that Kyle Dubas did spend that extra bit of money over going for a 
someone of a lesser caliber, maybe a Laurent Brassois or someone like that who signed in the $2 million range, like James Reimer. Someone who, if if Campbell goes down or isn't the answer at goal, goalie, you kind of feel a little bit shakier with. Whereas Mrazic, if we're going into him in a playoff series as our starter, I'm I'm not shaking in my boots. You got to think that between him and Jack Campbell, there's going to be one guy that we can feel pretty confident going into game one of the playoffs with. Yeah, I think one thing we can say with, you know, very much confidence is that Peter Mrazic is a definite upgrade on Frederick Anderson. Like, maybe not in 2017, but certainly right now, especially over the last two years, uh, 4.1 goals saved above average for Peter Mrazic versus Freddie's lovely negative uh, 19.1. Like, Mrazic had a very, very good year last year. Frederick Anderson had a very bad last year last year. So I know I saw a couple opinions being like, oh, like we're going on a 12-game sample size for Mrazic. But as you break down the numbers further, like it, it is very much clear that, you know, Frederick Anderson has dealt with injuries. He's dealt with a severe, severe decline. And Peter Mrazek has been pretty, pretty steady over that period of time. You're saving, you know, a decent amount of money compared to um, what you paid Frederick Anderson last year and even what Carolina is paying him this year, which is insane, but it is what it is. So, yeah, I think the Leafs have uh, definitely upgraded in goal. Maybe it's not the shining bright kind of star name that people were maybe wanting or expecting but at the same time like none of those guys were really really that available I guess maybe Darcy Kemper but again we look at the price Colorado paid for Darcy Kemper and honestly I'm looking at that and I'm I'm much happier just getting Peter Mrazek and and letting it ride with Jack Campbell we saw what Jack Campbell did last year is there a little question mark sure but at the same time, like we said that a whole bunch last year and he kind of answered every question. So I think the Leafs 1A, 1B tandem is exactly what they needed to do. Like they needed that insurance, but also I think at the price that both those goalies come in, I think it's a very competitive one. And I think it's exactly what this Leafs team needed, seeing as they have, you know, so much money tied up front. I'm glad you brought up Kemper because we actually did have a question from one of our, uh, one of our followers on Twitter, Jason Joyce, and he asked, if that price for Mrazic kind of is better than the price paid for a, a goalie who most would say is better in Darcy Kemper. And I would agree with you, Lebda. Like, I would much rather have done what we did, just pay purely money for a guy in Mrazic who, similar to Kemper, is a bit injury-prone. They're both injury-prone guys, so that is kind of a concern for both of them. But Colorado gave up a, a fairly decent prospect in Timmins, and they gave up a first-round pick. So we're able to not expend any of our assets. And I do believe Kemper's making more money than Mrazic as well. So we're saving a little bit on the cap. So I, I definitely do prefer the, the route of Mrazic. And yeah, when I first saw the deal 3.8, I thought, oh, that, that does seem a little rich. But you see some of the contracts signed by other goalies yesterday. Frederick Anderson, $4.5 million a year. Linus Allmark, who we were interested in because we thought he would cost about 3 to 3.5. He got $5 million per year over four years from Boston. Jonathan Bernier, who was solid for the Red Wings, but I'm, I'm probably taking Mrazic over him, got $4.125 million over two years. And then you got Philip Grubauer, who made almost $6 million over six years from, from Seattle. So out of the goaltending deals that were signed yesterday, I honestly think that Mrazic is probably my favorite one. He's got... I've heard from some people, they say he's a bit inconsistent, but he can look like an amazing goalie one night, not so great the next. So so that is a bit concerning. But again, when you have two goalies, that's not the worst thing to have is a guy who you saw it with Carey Price, a guy who just gets hot and steals a series from you that his team totally doesn't deserve. And I'm sticking with that till I die. Um, 
So we just, it's nice to have two guys in there. Whereas if you sign, like I said, a rhymer or someone like that, you're just not feeling that level of comfort. So I did like it. And one funny thing that happened yesterday was pretty much everyone on the TSN panel said that the Leafs downgraded in net, which could not be further from the truth. Like you said, Freddie Anderson over the last two years, a negative 19.1 goals saved above average. So he is, he's letting in 20 more goals than he should while Mrazek was slightly above average with four goals saved. So the fact that these guys are paid to discuss hockey and have such an inability to look at the, the most simplistic stats such as that to realize that no, the, the Leafs did, did pretty well to get a guy who, who they can kind of rely on. Whereas Frederick Anderson, he's shown us for two years, he's coming off an injury. He has not looked good since his groin injury, and he's a massive risk. Is Mrazek a risk in his own right? Sure, but he at, at age 29 with, with somewhat of a track record, he's definitely a guy I feel better going to than Frederick Anderson. And I think the biggest thing, too, with the, like the panel and even what I saw on Twitter was people that like, yeah, well, Mrazek was doing that in front of Carolina's defense, and Anderson was doing that in front of Toronto's defense. And, like, this narrative, like, the Leafs don't have Ron Hainsey and Cody Ceci and Nikita Zaitsev on their defense anymore. Like, this narrative that the Leafs' defense is some kind of, like, wide-open hole that teams can just skate through and they have all these high-danger chances on their goalies, just, like, it, it needs to die. Like, I know we didn't play, you know, the full NHL last year, but, like, the Leafs' defense was good. And I'm pretty sure in expected goals, the Leafs defense was like slightly better than Carolina Hurricanes, who people would say have one of the best defenses in the league. So this thing where Peter Mrazek isn't behind that rock solid Carolina defense anymore, like it, it's kind of just an overused crutch that people who don't actually do a little bit of a deep dive into kind of the stats around it say. So like with the, with kind of, with that being said, like I expect Peter Mrazek to, you know, to be good for the Leafs. And if he's not good, it's his own fault. It's not the Leafs defense. And it's not, you know, kind of all these things surrounding it. Like goalies are voodoo, but you know, I, I think it's just a really, really kind of tidy piece of business. And it's a, it's a low risk gamble. Like we say Linus Allmark, like that was kind of my first choice, but he got way too much money in too many years. Like we're taking a three year gamble, not a lot of, you know, money. So if he gets injured or he is injury prone, like the deal can be moved and, you know, we really just did not um, give in to the goaltender market, I, I feel like. And that was the biggest thing that we needed to do. And, I mean, Jack Campbell was a starting NHL quality starting goaltender last year. So it's not like you're in a Colorado situation where you have zero goalies and you need a true, like, number one because you have no one else in the wings. Like, Jack Campbell could start the year off hot again and not even give up the net to Peter Mrazek. And Mrazek becomes a pure backup. So there's there's lots of things where... The Leafs just didn't need to give in to the goalie market, and I'm really glad they didn't give in to it. Yeah, I completely agree. Between between one of those guys, the odds are that at least one of them is going to be a capable goalie to at least start in the playoffs for us. So that was a move that I, especially as the day went on, I grew more and more comfortable with. Now, a move that I was down with right from the get-go was a guy that I had had seen a lot of kind of stats Twitter having interest in before before free agency was Michael Bunting. And we saw earlier in the like the night before that the Leafs were interested in him. Uh, Bob McKenzie said so. And I was like, okay, if we're going to sign him, hopefully it's for a couple years so that if he is this kind of under the radar guy that, that does break through with us, that we can get a couple years of benefit out of it and at a low cost. And Dubas was able to do both things. He signed Bunting for two years at 950000 per year. So a completely variable contract if he doesn't work out with us. 
but he's a really, really interesting guy. He's had, he had exceptional goals above replacement numbers this year. They were a bit skewed by his high shooting percentage, but from, from J fresh hockey, he was a 99th percentile player. So we're obviously not going to, going to expect that out of bunting this year. But even if you look at his numbers on evolving wild, again, he's a 65th percentile player. Now he only played 21 games this year, but he was able to score 10 goals and had three assists. So shooting 26%, we're not expecting those numbers from him again, but he's only 25. He has a good history of scoring in the AHL. Uh, He had a season of 49 points in 58 games two years ago, 41 points in 52 games. So we know he can, we know he can fill the net up and a lot of Leaf fans are going to like this. He he plays like Brad Marchand. That, that was the way that I've seen numerous people describe him. He likes to go to the net. He's a guy that I think if you throw on one of those top two lines, if we're if we're not able to add more top six forwards, I think he could be a guy who who performs relatively similarly to Zach Hyman. Am I expecting the full Zach Hyman from him? No, but if he's a guy who can get after pucks, win the puck back, get it to Matthews, go to the net, have his stick down, I really like this deal because not only does it give us a cheap guy for this year that we could throw in, it has no risk and we can get a guy for next year. That's a perfect point to make. There's zero risk in this and there's only upside. If Michael Bunting, you know, regresses like crazy and isn't an impact player, like there's no risk. There's no worry that also, oh man, we gave this guy a little bit too much money. Now we're stuck with him. He's not performing like he did. I mean, he shot, yeah, just crazy shooting percentage. So we can't expect that again from him. But he was also, you know, playing on an Arizona Coyotes team. So I think this was like a a guy that Kyle Dubas saw can either like potentially really shoot up and like take that next step like Zach Hyman did a couple years ago. Um, But I think it was like a, a style of play kind of contract for the Leafs where they saw some things that they need that they're losing out of their lineup with Zach Hyman that Michael Bunting does well and are just banking on the fact that with all the talent surrounding him that those things that he does like you said going to the corners getting pucks retrieving pucks you know going to the net playing a little bit more nitty-gritty style and that that can complement one of the Leafs top two lines and if not like he's a very good defensive player so at very worst, you have a, a capable defensive bottom six forward in Michael Bunting. Again, it can be buried in the AHL. We got that extra year, which is huge because we are kind of gambling on the fact that he is going to take another kind of step in his development and become a, a you know, a top nine kind of kind of player. And for that second year, like we could have a real, real huge bargain this year, but we could have an even bigger bargain bargain with Michael Bunting next year. Yeah, and he's a hometown guy. He probably gave us a bit of a a bit of a better deal knowing he's from Toronto. He posted a picture of himself in a Leaf jersey as a kid. So just an all-around good story for the Leafs. And honestly, when when people talk about wanting a guy like Blake Coleman, yes, Blake Coleman is a great player, but why was he so valuable to Tampa? It was because he was making $1.5 million. We don't want Blake Coleman at the $5 million per year he signed with Calgary. We want Blake Coleman at a million or a million and a half. And a guy like Michael Bunting... He's got the potential to be that guy for us. Is he going to be as good as him? Probably not, but he's not getting paid as much, and we didn't give up anything to get him. I've, I've seen people compare this to the Jimmy VC signing, and to be honest, I don't get that. Jimmy VC has shown, had shown for numerous years that all his all he was really good at was finishing plays. He had no other play-driving capabilities, whereas Bunting has actually shown that he can contribute in other areas of the ice, and 
honestly, like you said, he's a pretty solid defensive player. Like he is a guy who, this is why Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner get paid so much. They can take a guy who's making $900,000. And if he's at least capable, they can make him look like a first line player. So look what they did with Joe Thornton. We saw Thornton look like a first liner for a month last year. Like a guy like Michael Bunting, he comes in hungry and he works hard and he, who knows, he could be getting the Zach Hyman contract on his next deal. Who, like it, honestly, it would not surprise me that much. Yeah. And like you said, he's 25. And I think the biggest knock on his game up to this point has been his skating. And if you're a player who needs to work a little bit on your, their skating, like there's no better organization to go to than the Toronto Maple Leafs. We've seen what, you know, the Leafs can do to players who, you know, that's their question mark. They get in, they put the work in through the summers, continue it through the season. And then you get, you know, players that have other attributes that are very good just refine the skating a little bit. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, like what happened here? Like all of a sudden we have this genuine top six talent. And I'm not saying that's a guarantee, but from everything I read, from everything I've seen, from all the research I've done, like this is just a perfect gamble. And it's, you know, this is the type of the moves that the Leafs are going to do and have to do this year. They can't go out and, you know, overpay a Brendan Saad. They couldn't overpay Zach Hyman. They can't overpay a Blake Coleman. Like, these are not the type of moves the Leafs were ever going to make. So to make a, a move for a guy who could turn into one of those players just based on projections or, you know, style of player, whatever you want to call it, then, like, to me, like, I think Dubas hit kind of a home run here. Like, no risk, huge, huge potential. You have the stars to surround this guy with. So he do, if he does bring that style and does, you know, kind of click with one of those lines – then, I mean, you have a, a genuine top six forward for 950K. Like, you, there's nothing to complain about whatsoever on this one. And I think that's kind of a good time to segue into something that that's kind of been eating at me over the last 24 hours. And that's the amount of Leaf fans criticizing Dubas for yesterday, that for his lack of action and the lack of additions that he's made. It's like, you look at some of these contracts that are going around in the NHL. Michael Granlin signing for $5 million over four years. You have Jaden Schwartz, five and a half million over five years. Cody Cece, 3.5 million over four years. Like Blake Coleman, five million over six years. Sam Bennett, 4.4 million over four years. Like, is this the kind of stuff you want Dubas to do? No, like those are not the kind of deals that are signed on the first day of free agency. Those are not the deals where you find those inefficiencies and, and those values. And that's kind of what it's all about for the Leafs at this point. They have their high salary earners paid. They need to find guys that are providing value above their contract. And if you're signing big names on the first day of free agency, guess what? You are not getting excess surplus value on your contracts. So I think Dubas, to be honest, yesterday, we'll get into his last signing after after we finish this, but he he got low-risk guys and he, he got kind of potential high reward with it. So I, I really have no problems with what he did yesterday. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, like why people are all up in arms like I, I i understand you know the playoff failures and people are like well why are we not changing anything i do understand that point of view but you also have to look at it from kyle dubas's point of view like you have this team that last year was in a like a very very good hockey team if we got if we got the carry price at tampa base uh, saw we would have swept them last year like I, I know this is like like the leafs fail again in the playoffs and what could have happened like it's all a bunch of kind of kind of bull crap at this point like win around but at the same time like Kyle Dubas is not paid to make you know spur of the moment irrational decisions just because something went wrong the reason these guys are NHL GMs and not two you know 
20 something year old podcasters living in their mommy's basement, like is because he's not going to panic and because he can kind of stay the course. Like I don't want that Brandon saw deal or that Mikhail Granlin deal, or, you know, Jaden Schwartz on our books when we have to resign Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner and William Nylander. And like, those are, those are the kinds of things that happen. Now all of a sudden you look at all these teams that, you know, yeah, they have the cap space now, but what happens in two to three years when, some star players need to get paid or things shift or, or whatever happens. So uh, I'm very glad that Kyle Dubas didn't panic and went out and just went on a big spree um, in free agency. Cause very rarely do you honestly get more value than a contract's worth in free agency, unless you wait those kind of couple days after a couple weeks after like, look at the team we just lost to in the playoffs. Like their best, one of their best players was Tyler Toffoli. What, like what happened there? Montreal waited until, you know, his price came down or not a lot of teams were interested in it or whatever happened there. And they got significant value from a contract. That's very good because they waited. Maybe, you know, there's not the guys like a Tyler to waiting, but I mean, Thomas Tatar hasn't signed anywhere that we've been saying that name forever. People are probably sick of hearing it, but if all of a sudden Kyle Dubas signs Thomas Tatar for a discount deal, like, this Leafs team, again, like Thomas Tatar is a clear upgrade on Zach Hyman. I don't care what anyone says. If we sign Thomas Tatar, or we make a trade for, you know, a top six forward that's completely out of the blue like Dubas did with a Muzzin deal, then everything's looking different. So I, I think this big up in arms thing, like people relate a good offseason to lots of moving parts. Like m- mainstream media members do it, just casual fans on Twitter do it. Like that's not how you should evaluate things like you just stay the course wait to see if Dubas does nothing then yeah maybe his summer's a little bit disappointing but then all of a sudden boom we get Philip Forsberg at you know half retained from two teams for a, a bargain at some point either the trade deadline or whatever and all of a sudden our top six is again disgusting so I don't know man like I think people just need to relax a little bit there's not very much Kyle Dubas could have done his defense is set yes we still need a left winger but there's still names available, whether trade, whether it's Thomas Tatar and free agency, whether it's another, you know, Nick Ritchie, Andre Cash, like guys like that. So, I mean, honestly, like just calm down, just wait it out a little bit, wait a month or two, see what his final kind of plan is. We still have a, enough cap space for a genuine top six winger and then make make your kind of wild criticisms and accusations that Kyle Davis needs to be fired or whatever you want. But for me sitting here, like, I think he's had a very, very good start to free agency. Yeah, it was exactly what I said on our last podcast that I wanted him to do in free agency. I wanted, obviously, get a goalie. You don't wait out a goalie because if you wait too long, then all of a sudden you're left with Mike Smith as your backup or something like that, and that would be an absolute tragedy. But as far as forwards and defensemen go, we wanted them to do the Toffoli strategy. Wait it out, see what you can get. And our guy all along has been Thomas Tatar, and he's still sitting there. I know Colorado's talk, talk to him, but Brandon Saad, as of recording this, just signed with St. Louis. So the Leafs were apparently interested in him. Hopefully they shift their interest over to, to old Thomas Tatar, and we can, uh, yeah, we can have our basically our top six solidified then. And as far as making too many moves, like uh, we, you and I both wanted Mitch Marner like at least we wanted the trade to be explored this offseason. 100% because of the just the sheer amount of money we he was making, we thought that there there are ways that the Leafs could improve around trading Mitch Marner for a lesser player making less money. 
Yeah, some people might call it crazy for Dubas to hold on to all four of these guys. I might even be one of the, the people included in that. But at the same time, you could look back at this a year from now and be like, I can't believe there were people who wanted to trade a 100-point winger. It it could so turn out that this is finally the year they break through and we all look like idiots for for calling them a bunch of playoff chokers. Am I saying that's going to happen? No, but we we honestly don't know. What if Tampa Bay, after losing to Columbus, decided to panic and trade Kucherov? Am I saying we're going to be Tampa Bay? Not even in the slightest case because they had already won playoff rounds before that. But hey, maybe next year we win a round. We win two rounds. Who knows? It It's not that crazy of Dubas to actually hold on to this core. It may even be the most rational thing. And if he's doing that, this is exactly the strategy I would have taken. So with that said, uh, we should probably look at the last big signing of the day that he made which was David Kampf. Now, this was probably the one that I was the least excited about. They gave him two years and $1.5 million per year. And being a stats guy, I, I hopped over to his page and I was just, I was very unimpressed by the by the advanced numbers that I saw. He was in the 13th percentile by by goals above replacement. And I was just like, what what is Dubas doing with this guy? I really, like, why are you paying him more than the league minimum? But the more I dug into it, I read some articles on him from Blackhawks fans. They say he's a very defensive forward. He had 67% of his starts in the defensive zone. He's a good face-off and penalty kill guy at 53% face-offs. The Blackhawks penalty wasn't very penalty kill wasn't very good this year, but from what I've read in articles and stuff, Blackhawk fans rave about him on the penalty kill. And Dubas did say he's been interested in this guy for a while. So this is one where I'm not going to say it's a it's a win for us yet because I haven't watched him play. But the more I read into it and the more that I've seen people who have watched him play talk, I, I can at least be talked into this a little bit as, as a guy who could play in one of the bottom six lines. I won't call it third or fourth line because I think they're kind of going to be interchangeable based on situation this year. But I could see him being part of a line with uh, Mikheyev and Engvall or Mikheyev and Simmons who you're you're playing against a bit tougher competition than the other bottom six line and allowing that Spezza-led line to go go after some goals. So I don't think David Kampf is going to provide us much, if any, offense. But if he can go out there, play 13, 14 minutes a night and come out even, be kind of like a fast forward button like you wanted Riley Nash to be, it's not the worst case for a team that's as capped out as we are. Yeah, I think this is another one of the ones where Kyle Dubas obviously went off a certain kind of style of player. Uh, I think the Leafs want a shutdown line. Um, we saw it last year with kind of the Riley Nash acquisition. I think that led into the kind of Nick Felino acquisition as well at the deadline. Um, yeah, this is another one of those guys too. I, I kind of looked at the deal, looked at the player very quickly and was like, Oh my goodness, like, what are we doing? Like, you've got to be kidding me. Why is this the guy we're, you know, not paying that league minimum or that variable contract to? But again, deep diving. He's obviously a defensive forward penalty kill. He's, he excels in that, but like his quality of competition apparently last year, like he was getting a lot of tough matchups for Chicago with not a lot of kind of support on his wings. Like his teammates were pretty poor as well. Um, so I think that's what Kyle Dubas is looking at. Good defensive guy played against very tough competition, not great, you know, kind of line mates. Let's bring him in. Let's try and get him in a very shutdown role. We have, you know, Ely McKayev. We have Pierre Engvall. Like these guys are good defensively. Um, maybe we surround him with this guy, even if you wanted to like include Alex Kerfoot in some kind of crazy third line, I don't know, you know, that would be, you know, 
digging a little bit, you know, kind of deep for, for my liking, but, but however you kind of want to set it up, I think it's very clear that Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas want that shutdown line. This guy's good defensively. He's good on the penalty kill. We lost Zach Hyman. He was a big um, kind of member of our penalty kill. So I think instead of replacing Hyman with an exact like for like, I think we're kind of replacing him by committee. Michael Bunting, maybe a little bit more of that offense, go get the puck for one of our top six lines. Maybe David Comp coming in, doing some penalty kill role, building a shutdown, you know, third, fourth line, whatever you want to call it with the guys that we already have. So it's one of the ones where we're going to have to wait until, you know, halfway, three quarters of the way into the season to see how this actually works out. But I'm definitely less mad about it than I kind of was originally. But Again, time, time will tell with this one. It's not a crazy contract, even if you have to, you know, sit him or bury him. Like, yes, you have to eat some of the salary, but it is what it is. It's also a very tradable contract. So we'll kind of see how this one works out. But yeah, not as big a fan of this one as the last two, but also don't hate it as much as I kind of did originally. Yeah, so with that said, the the other signings, like we talked about, Amadio, Gabriel, and those guys, they're they're not really too relevant main front page information. So what I kind of want to get into here is, is what we think the rest of the off season will play out like and what our lines would be. So I think you and I both agree. The Leafs have three and a half million. Where do you want to use that Lebda? <laughs> Let's just say his name. Thomas D. Thomas Tatar. So let's Tatar. just say we do sign the old Tatar master. Now the way I'm rolling out these lines, it may be the same as you Lebda. Basically, what I would do is I would put Thomas Tatar on one of those lines. Let's just say the Matthews line for now. You have Tatar, Matthews, and Marner as your first line. Then Michael Bunting, I am sliding him onto that second line with Nylander and Tavares. But I, I think him and Tatar are interchangeable just depending on fit. Now, going into the, the bottom six, basically how I would work it is I would do an offensive bottom six line and a defensive bottom six line. Not calling them third or fourth lines because they're probably both going to play about 12 to 14 minutes a night. So with that said, the, the offensive line that I hope we can deploy if Nick Robertson is able to come and, and stick with the lease would be Robertson, Kerfoot, Spezza. Give those guys a few more offensive zone starts or at least some easier competition. Allow them to roast a little bit and, and who knows what kind of offense they could provide. It could be a great start to Nick Robertson's career. And then on that defensive fourth line, I'm going Mikheyev, Kampf, and Engvall. Now, we know Wayne Simmons has been signed, so it wouldn't surprise me to see Pierre Engvall traded or just sat in favor of Wayne Simmons. And we did see in the playoffs that Engvall, McKayev, and Simmons, they did work well together. So maybe Simmons is able to play on that role. I wouldn't mind, you know, giving him half the games, keeping him fresh, whatever it may be, and just rolling like that. But basically the idea is an offensive four, bottom six line and a defensive bottom six line. Yeah, and I think um I'll just go on that Wayne Simmons point. I think Wayne Simmons and Jason Spezza are going to get like very much load managed this year. Uh, I think that's why we saw like a Curtis Gabriel signing is like he's your kind of Wayne Simmons replacement if you need a little toughness in the lineup. Jason Spezza, Nick Robertson, maybe, the, you know, those are kind of the guys that flip flop a little bit. Um, so I do expect that I think with the top six, yeah, whether it's Thomas Tatar or like the Leafs are getting another kind of left winger or player to play in that top six like there's no there's no question around that so whether we call it Thomas Tatar or whoever yeah they're playing with Austin Matthews Mitch Marner Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner great regular season players we saw their kind of how do I say downfall in the playoffs so they need someone on that line that can also score goals because Mitch Marner has the shot of a you know a, a peewee player 
So someone needs to be able to also score goals to free up that space for Austin Matthews. Michael Bunting, again, we said he's that gamble. Hopefully he can play that kind of Zach Hyman style. That fits pretty well with what William Nylander and John Tavares do, so I like that. Nick Robertson is definitely the Leafs' biggest question mark going into this season. Is he going to take that jump, or does he need another year of development or even a half year in the AHL develop? Boom, come in, make an impact in the Leafs in some kind of capacity. You probably don't want um, Nick Robertson only playing five minutes a night or however that in like a very limited fourth line role. So again, that's my biggest question mark. But other than that, yeah, like the Mikheyev, Kampf, Engvall line, I would love to just see that happen. I think Pierre Engvall, we talk about Michael Bunting potentially doing kind of a Zach Hyman style thing. I think Pierre Engvall is potentially another candidate for that where he has, you know, the, the skill set around him and he just hasn't fully refined his own skill set yet to make that next jump. But Pierre Engvall is another guy where I'm just not willing to just trade for nothing or sit too much because I do think he has a little bit of that potential in and also he provides great center depth if we need him someone gets injured and stuff like that so I really like that McKay of Kampf Pierre Engvall line use it as a shutdown role play against some of the other teams better competition so that one of our top six lines can really roast and feast against a poorer matchup um so yeah you know I, I think we just yeah really agree on this lineup there's maybe a couple tweaks we have to see what happens with that left winger but Honestly, people that are saying the Leafs have taken a huge step back from next year, like if we look at this lineup and we get, you know, a Thomas Tatar or of the kind of sorts on that top six, like I'd almost argue this team is better than it was last year. Yeah, it's mighty close. Like, like it depends who that left winger is. If it's Tatar, honestly, I know a lot of, a lot of people would disagree with this statement, but I think he's a better player than Zach Hyman. You look at the second line. I mean, Bunting, Bunting, Nylander, Tavares is, is probably better than Galchenyuk on that line. And then, you know, the bottom, like the bottom six is very similar. I think it, it would depend on Alex Kerfoot improving next year, uh, having a better regular season than he did, kind of carrying his play from the playoffs. And if Nick Robertson is able to, to improve, boom, that, that could be a huge step up. And then I could see, I could see Mikheyev kind of having a sneaky good season, just being a year further removed from his wrist injury. I wouldn't be surprised to see him bury a few more goals next year. So the, I think I think to call them significantly better, obviously we're not going to do that. But to say they're going to be significantly worse is just pretty wrong to me as well. Like you're just not going to see – I think it's a very similar team. And we saw – I think if they can get over their own mental hurdles, then that team is capable of going farther in the playoffs because they should have kicked the crap out of Montreal. If they're one bad pass away from beating them in five. And who knows where, where they'd be now. And we would think this team is amazing, right? So it's just tough to t- tough to call them worse. And then on the back end, everything is the same, except instead of having Dermot and Bogosian, you're going to have Dermot and Sandine. And Sandine's somewhat of a wild card, but would it really shock you if he were significantly better than Zach Bogosian was last year? No, not at all. And honestly, the same can be said about Travis Dermott. Like, these guys still have a little bit of room to improve. Rasmus Sandin has a lot of room to improve, but like they're young players getting, you know, better. So, uh, yeah, I think that the Leafs probably need to add another, whether you want to call it a right hand shot or a right side defense, just as a little bit more insurance when injuries happen, stuff like that. Yes, they have Timothy Lilligren. I don't know how much they trust Timothy Lilligren, but he can slide in there. And then if you sign, you know, a Mark Pissick or someone of that kind of caliber who's like one of these guys who you know analytics people love 
always kind of seems to fall under the radar a little bit, but always performs, you know, well in that kind of role, then I think this Leafs defense is again, you know, at least the same and improved and they were pretty, pretty good last year. So we'll see how they fare against, you know, kind of the better teams in the league. But I mean, you still have Jake Muzzin, you still have TJ Brody, you still have Morgan Riley, like you still have all those big pieces that are, you know, very proven NHL defenders, even in years that weren't, you know, last year. So yeah, I just, I I don't see this Leafs team taking a step back. Like so many people have said, and I understand the frustration. I understand we haven't won a playoff round and, you know, maybe having some confidence in this team is just stupid, but I have full confidence in the regular season that this is going to be a playoff team. I'd even say that this team is, you know, potentially pushing for that first spot with, you know, with the likes of Tampa, Florida, Boston in our division. And then, you know, playoffs are playoffs, but you, you got to think Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner come in super pissed off. They, they have to be putting in the work in the summer. If they're not putting in the work, then I mean, they're lost causes and all of what I've said doesn't matter anyways. But John Tavares, yes, he had the injury, but he's got to have a real sour taste in his mouth knowing that if he played that they would have got past Montreal, got over the demons. So like they have all the motivation to come in and, you know, start the regular season strong and, you know, you start strong, then you just keep going from there. So I don't, I don't know, man. I, I think people calling this team worth are completely out to lunch, but we'll, uh, we'll, I guess, see once that puck drops in game one of the regular season. Yeah. Are we saying they're going to win a playoff round? No, we'll need to believe it when we see it, but it's not these additions that are going to make the difference in that. We already saw last year the supporting cast, although not getting a lot of money was sufficient as long as Matthews and Marner play to their capabilities. That is what it's going to come down to that. This season, the more I think about it, the more interesting it gets just based on the different things that could happen in this division. But again, it's just going to come down to the playoffs. If Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner are both over a point a game in the playoffs and Nylander and Tavares perform like Nylander and Kerfoot did last year, I guarantee you were in the second round. It's it's just kind of going to be a wait and see. But yeah, the, to call the, this Leafs team unlikely to make the playoffs is is pretty insane to me because... You said it. Like you, you can think Boston's great, Tampa's great, and Florida's great. I would honestly argue the least. I would take them over Boston right now. Florida and Tampa, it's it gets somewhat debatable. But still, even if all three of those teams are better, you still only have to beat one of Mon- you have to beat Montreal, Buffalo, Detroit, and Ottawa. I feel pretty certain saying that they're able to beat one of those teams. Most likely, it's Montreal who's in that fifth spot. So yeah, I think I think it's just a lot of people are just so pissed off that they're seeing the same thing that they're seeing year after year. But if you were shown this lineup in 2017, you would have been like, holy cow, that's pretty good, man. So I think we all just need to kind of take a chill pill. And it's understandable. We're Leaf fans. We've been through pure torture. So I can understand some irrationality. But at the same time, this team finished like 20 points ahead of Montreal last year. So I think it's pretty safe to say Montreal's got a huge gap to close to be able to pass us. Yeah, and Montreal has gotten worse, like to put it bluntly. Um so yeah, I've I've no I've like why would we have so much fear about a regular season when this team is always consistently good in the regular season and then just absolutely shit their pants in the playoffs? Like that's the only thing I'm concerned about. Like yeah, like the the this is a regular season team, man. Everyone says it. It's what other teams kind of fan bases criticize us for that we're a regular season team. So hey, let's be the good regular season team that we honestly are on paper. 
and then just, you know, get ready for another big old disappointment in the playoffs. But that's what Leaf fans do. That's what we're used to. So, I mean, why would this year be any different, right? Yeah, and just to put this whole playoff thing kind of into perspective, I, I want to read a tweet from one of my favorites, Brian CRD on Twitter. He said, the 2020 Leafs, with Frederick Anderson shitting the bed every other night, Tyson Berry and Cody Cece playing half the game, who spent half the season playing for a coach they hated and the other half playing for a rookie coach, were in a playoff position when play stopped. But yeah, sure, pencil this team in as struggling to make the wild card before the first day of free agency is over because they lost Zach Hyman. Sure, go nuts. I think that just says it all. This team is so much better than that 2020 team. And you said it best, Lepta. This team has shown the the regular season is not an issue for us. It's the playoffs. So we're getting there. It's just a matter of what happens when we do, Lebda. Now, that is that is pretty much all I have to say on the Leafs. What, you got anything else you want to get off your chest? No, I think I think that's everything. I think we've said it a bunch of times. Like I'm very, very curious to see who Kyle Dubas brings in to play left wing in our top six. But until we kind of see that, we won't see the full picture of this team. But, uh, yeah, I'm a little bit nervous, but very, very excited to see who that person's going to be. Rapid-fire prediction, Lebda. What, what do you think that last 3.5 is filled with? I uh, see again, like Thomas Tatar is a perfect fit. We know the Leafs have some interest. The only question mark is, are they going to get like slightly outbid by a team like Colorado? If I'm being a hundred percent honest, I think it's going to come just before the season in a trade who that is. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think that's where we're going to kind of end up. I feel like Tatar is just going to get scooped up. He's too good of a player. Who's going to get, you know, just slightly more money than the Leafs are willing to pay from another from another smart team. One one of those guys were trade. I don't know how realistic it is, but I have been bumbling it around in my mind is like a Patrick Line at half retained. Once you know he gets so sick of being in Columbus that he just demands a trade and refuses to stop playing. And then you know I know Patrick Line's maybe advanced stats and stuff aren't that great, and he's not really good at anything but scoring goals. But man, if you had a power play with Austin Matthews and Patrick Line on either sides firing one timers, I mean. If we had a if we had an actual power play, we would have smoked Montreal too. So I mean, that's a name that I'm I'm personally very interested in. Again, I don't know how realistic it is, but and he's an RFA after this year, so you're get you're getting value. You're gonna have to give up Nick Robertson, but you're you're getting value back. So like I said, not a very rapid fire answer, but but that's kind of my answer. Yeah. Um obviously you know my loyalties lie with Thomas Titar, but I'm just I, I'm not always super optimistic on it because, like you said, the the Avs are interested. I I see this last bit of space being spent on Nick Ritchie. I see him getting like a like a a million and a half, couple million, and then if they can maybe squeak Andre Kasha in as kind of a you know one year one one to one point five million dollar deal to kind of rebuild his value off that injury. He was an excellent player when in Anaheim. He's uh he's been struggling with injuries. I think he's only played nine games since Boston traded for him, but. If they did that, I'd be very happy as well. Like a couple, like Richie, feel good about him as a bottom six forward. Kasha, he's he's got that potential where if he's healthy, all of a sudden that is a clear, clear top six winger for you. So that is my prediction. Kasha and Richie, but hoping it's Tatar, we will have to see. But with that said, thank you everyone for listening. It's uh, we, I'm glad we were able to get a podcast out a little quicker than the than the last gap, and and you can certainly expect the next one to come soon too. Absolutely. And like, uh, like Sats just said, thank you guys very much for listening. Very much appreciated. And we'll, uh, see you all next time. <laughs>